Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Alright folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 183 today. Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, Matthew Roberts is back on the show and he wrote the book Initiated. Uh, we did part one with him a couple weeks ago and the audio audio quality got a little um, uh, degraded at the end so we thought we'd give this another try. Uh, but yeah, you can check out his book Initiated and he was witness to the video, the gimbal video from 2015 when he was stationed on the USS Roosevelt. Uh, then he later joined the uh, Office of Naval Intelligence. Uh, I highly recommend his book. Go check it out. Um, but yeah, so let's go to, oh, also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast for just $2 a month. You'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Uh, we do actually have one up there with Matthew uh, from last time he was on, if you want to check that out. And we have a bunch of other uh, you know, UFO, esoteric, you know, there's a bunch of guest episodes on there. Randall Carlson, Sean Cahill, you name it. We've got tons of stuff on there. So go check that out. We're also on discord if you want to chat with us. And, uh, if you are interested, head on over to Indra's web and go to indrasweb.org, which is live. This is the social media platform that we created to connect open minds. So whether you're talking about UFOs, ancient civilizations, um, you know, psychedelic, ancient psychedelic use, anything esoteric or uh, you have some outside-the-box theory, that's the place to discuss that kind of stuff. And uh, there's a lot, decent amount of people on there now, so go check it out. Uh, but without further ado, welcome back on the show, Matt. How are you? Good. I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here again. Thanks Absolutely. for joining us. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Um, so the first time we had you on, we kind of went through the different parts of your book, um, which I really enjoyed, and um, it's kind of like an emotional and psychological roller coaster in a way because it is your real life. These are real things that you went through um, and experienced, and um, I'm, we're not going to rehash a lot of the stuff. But why don't you talk about the psychological, you know, impact and like your mindset, and then obviously looking into Carl Jung and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, well, yeah, for, for those who don't know, uh, you know, I was stationed on board the Theodore Roosevelt. I was present for the Gimbal event. And then I uh, went to O&I where I began to have these, you know, intense experiences with the phenomenon. Um, and that was, like you said, it was a psychological thing for me. Uh, and it's, I, I guess my book, it, it could be like a psychological thriller if it were made into a movie, you know, because it's kind of uh, mind bending. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like an inward journey is what it is, is the best way I could describe it. Um, and it's all about consciousness, but, uh, psychologically speaking, it really fits in with, uh, the psychology of Dr. Carl Jung. And, uh, when I was going through this, after I had gone through this process, the book is called initiated because I viewed this whole thing that I went through is just a, a giant uh, initiation process in which 
you know, I was exposed to things that ideas uh, that basically um, kind of, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, I guess they, 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 they trained my mind to think a certain way. Uh, and that's kind of what Jungian psychology is all about. Um, you know, training your mind. Uh, a lot of it has to go back to uh, stoicism is a big part of it as well. Uh, and being a stoic. And a lot of people have this kind of bad idea as to what stoicism is. Mm. They think that stoicism is like the, uh, you know, the total rejection of feeling uh, and not not feeling things and not being feeling towards life. But uh, that's not really necessarily the case. It's more about what's realizing what's important and then feeling what is important rather than you know, feeling, uh, feeling feelings that are unnecessary, if that makes any sense. Mm. Um, and so this whole process was just like, a, you know, it just, it, it trained me to think in that way. Um, there was a lot of fear involved. Uh, and that fear kind of, I mean, I guess the best way to describe it is that like the best way to get rid of fear is to just be so scared that you just can't take it anymore. And so you decide, well, I'm not going to feel fear anymore. And that's the stoic kind of attitude towards fear. Yeah, that's what you were uh, saying last time. It's kind of like, you know, you hit the, the bottom and there's nowhere else to go but but up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's basically what this process was. And uh, at the end of my experiences, um, I was introduced in a dream to a... Jungian psychoanalyst named Robert Moore, Dr. Robert Moore. And uh, I didn't know who he was initially. I just had this, you know, I, I was having this dream and this old man was sitting across from me and and he's telling me about, he's teaching me about human psychology. And I woke up the next morning with Robert Moore, his name rolling through my head. So I wrote it down uh, and I looked into his books and he wrote he wrote a series of books that were, that are just excellent. Uh, and if you want to know more about this, I would highly encourage you to check them out. I found what was most useful was his, uh, his books about archetypes. So he has like the King warrior, magician and lover, uh, series of books, which are, are really great. <laughs> and, um, so the King and the warrior, the lover, and the magician, these are the four archetypes of the psyche. Um, and the king is kind of like, uh, and when I say archetypes, I mean they're, they're just like aspects of yourself, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so when you train your mind a certain way, what you're doing is you're, you're getting these archetypes to function in their fullness, right? And so each of these archetypes has a shadow or a negative aspect to it as well and people can live either in the shadow aspect of these archetypes or they can live them in their fullness mm. and so when you're living them in your in their fullness that's what brings you to this um i guess nirvana or enlightenment and the four of those together comprise the hero which is like the hero in the hero's journey that uh joseph campbell discusses right. and that's why you know 
human mythology is just replete with this stuff. Um, and and when you talk about these psychological archetypes, you can begin to see them in mythology. And that's uh, that's the basic gist of it. Mm. Yeah, so I think that, um, as you mentioned, there are a lot of people that are critical of Stoicism. I don't like certain aspects of it. Not the part that yeah. you discuss, but um, they seem to lack in some of the metaphysics and metaphysical aspects of philosophy. Uh, mm -hmm. That's just my opinion of it. But um, I do like certain aspects of it, though, too. And I think that um, taking some of these problems head on is noble, obviously, in a certain way and living your life in um, that manner. However, um, like you mentioned, you were talking about the shadow and young and everything. And um, so do you feel like obviously a majority of your book seems to be like you dealing with your shadow? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's exactly what it is. So when he talks about shadow um, and, and and living the archetypes in their fullness or living it in the shadow, what he's really talking about there is uh, the extent to which you've cultivated yourself as an introvert or an extrovert. Um, and an introvert would be more of the operating and fullness end of the spectrum. And uh, the extrovert would be the shadow. Right. And what and introvert and extrovert doesn't mean what people have, you know, colloquially kind of uh, named them. It, it, it has to do with. Uh, so if you're an introvert, you have this awareness that like emotions and there are certain things that reside within yourself. And so you cultivate those things. But if you're an extrovert, like everything that you view to be true about the world and about yourself is external to yourself right? right so like emotions even reside outside yourself and it could the extrovert would take the opinion that um perhaps like if they got angry at someone they would blame that person for their anger right it's mm. you you made me angry rather right. than the introvert would think well you know this person did something and I got angry, right? You know, uh -huh. and I and, and that's that's really what Jung talks about when he means introvert and extrovert, because he to, he actually coined those terms, and people have just kind of twisted them and misinterpreted them over the years. Interesting. Yeah, I think was his last book was about UFOs too, I believe, or one of his yeah. last books. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you look at this phenomenon and the things that happen to you and you dealing with your shadow and do you, so do you think that you dealing with the dark side or the, your own personal demons, if you will, do you think that that had to do with the lack of these other aspects of this knowledge having to do with the, the psychology of it? Or do you think that, um, that's just kind of where you were? Yeah, I think, I think that a lot of it had to do with the fact that I hadn't, I hadn't cultivated. I, ha I had to some extent naturally done these kinds of things, like a stoic attitude. I, I didn't. I didn't ever associate myself with stoicism until I started reading about it, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, that's kind of what I've always done," you right. know. And so I, I really just kind of fell into this naturally somehow. <laughs> I mean, I, in a natural way, what I thought I was doing was just. Um, simplifying my life you know the simpler the better and so i would 
I would try to make things and break them down to their simplest aspect and kind of analyze them psychologically. And, and, and then within that situation, I would think to myself, well, what could I have done better here? Or how could I have reacted uh, in a better way to bring this situation to where I wanted it to be? And, and that was just, I was constantly doing that with myself mm. because I, I, I viewed that as a simplification because, and, and a simplification meaning that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like jerked around by my emotions. You know, you see people who who are kind of the extrovert and they're they're just jerked around by their emotions um, and you see them and they live this kind of chaotic life from, you know, one emotion to the next. And rather than them controlling those things and it's just very chaotic. And so that's kind of that's I kind of built my life around that, not really knowing that that was stoicism. <laughs> right. I didn't I didn't attribute that to any kind of ancient philosophy that was just something that I normally did. Right. So how do you think that these things intersect then? How do you think that like UFOs and metaphysical things and paranormal things, like how do you think that those intersect with uh, us and our psychology and our consciousness? Do you think that these things are um, real external things and different entities, or do you think they're all this same thing almost like a Jacques Vallée passport to Magonia type of thing where it's putting on different masks and interacting with us in different ways. Like, how do you look at this? Um, I, I, well, I mean, a lot of people would, a lot of people would tend to believe that there's, uh, you know, a physical aspect to this. And I agree with that. And I think that, uh, but I'm not sure that that's necessarily the right way to view it. If that makes any sense, because, so if you think about it, what, what's happening here is that the universe is all of one consciousness, right? And, and everything is an extension of that singular consciousness. And so when I see you, even if you're standing in front of me, um, seemingly we're two separate different things, but there's something that links us both and we're both the same thing, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And so, And so you can have like, you, I don't know what you want to call them, extraterrestrials or aliens or whatever, and you could think that they're separate from yourself, and visually it would appear that way. But then kind of when you take this inward journey, you realize that they're just a part of you and that they're no different from you than uh, this chair over here or you know the trees out in the yard. It's all the same thing. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like the correct way to view it. Um, that everything is one, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, do you ever think about like panpsychism that everything's conscious in some regards? And even if you look at like Aristotle, Aristotle broke things down into different categories. You know, you had plant consciousness, animal consciousness, and mm -hmm. like, you know, human consciousness and all those were separate entities that had different levels and characteristics to each of them. And, uh, you know, human consciousness would be, uh, are obviously the things that we have on top of having the plant and the animal consciousness. So, I mean, do you think along the lines of something like that, where there's different levels and, um, just maybe some organisms or, uh, species have different, you know, um, ways to communicate better or something like that? Or how do you look at it? Yeah, so I, I kind of I kind of 
my suspicion would be that this is just uh, like that. This is what evolution is, right? You you just you, you start to gather and become more aware, and so you'd have like plants at the bottom. You know, they're 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 they barely have any awareness. They kind of know where the sun is, and they can point themselves in that direction. Um, but then you have animals which are starting to become more aware. Uh, you know, because they're not planted in the ground, they they can wander around, they can look for food, that kind of thing. And and then you have humans, right? Um, and we kind of think of ourselves as being on the top of that chain, but then we realize that there are these <laughs> right. these other beings in the universe that are kind of a step above us. And I think that that's what evolution is. I think evolution is a huge part of that in this in this realization and awareness of what and who you are um and i think that you kind of just step up through this hierarchy of consciousness hmm. um if that makes any sense and yeah. and so when when like when i finish this process this awakening or nirvana or enlightenment as it's been described in the east it's kind of like people describe it as cosmic consciousness Right, because not only are you aware of like the earth, your place in it, you become aware of like the universe and what that right. is, you know. And so it's just the next step up in evolution is really all it is. So, I mean, in your opinion, how high do you think that consciousness goes? You just keep going and going <laughs> and going, or, uh, you know. I don't know. I, I would imagine that it goes all the way up to the top where eventually, you know, you'll you'll evolve into whatever this consciousness that created us is. You know, so you're kind you, of returning back to the source of it all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I th and I think that there are steps and phases all the way up to that. I think that uh, I think that's probably how this works. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, I think about that in similar terms as well. Um, but there is something uniquely different about us, though, right? I mean, we're able to manipulate our environment like nothing that's that we know of that's ever lived. Um, right. And you're talking about these other things or beings possibly out there that may be even far more, far more advanced than us. Uh, but again, we don't have like solid, solid proof that we know what's going on with that either. So I think that this is where the psychology aspects come into play is because even though we've got the gimbal and the go fast and the, um, you know, all these FLIR, uh, videos and stuff, I don't think that, you know, the implications is that these are off world or, you know, some breakaway civilization or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I mean, I think that there's, I don't know. I, I would, for me to a hundred percent get on board with that, I need to see something more than just what's been put out there. And it's not, I'm not saying I don't believe that there's not life out there. I a hundred percent believe that there's life out there. I just don't know if what we were seeing was anything that, I don't know. I don't know. I believe that it's something weird. I let's put it that way, but I don't know what we're mm. looking at. So that's why I'm talking about like the psychology now is, or I brought that back up is because psychologically, could this be something that some metaphysical thing that's like dangling this carrot, trying to get us to go one way or the other or evolve certain ways, 
either technologically or it's like here, this is out here if you can get to this thing, but you might not be able to where you're at right now. Kind of a, that's the way I look at it at least. Right. Yeah. And I think that, so some, something I'll say to that is that a lot of people have this idea that, um, what it means to evolve is that, you know, we look around us and we see that we drive cars, we have cell phones and animals don't have that. Right. So, so we must be much more advanced than they are. But in terms of how the universe views uh, advancement, I don't think that that's necessarily those two things are necessarily in line. And the reason why I say that is because there were ancestors of early man that uh, began burying their dead in caves. The Homo nadelli, I think is what they were called. Mm -hmm. And this was like, two, three, four hundred thousand years ago. Um, and so for me, what that means is that they were going through this initiation, right? They had some awareness that there's something after death. And so that's that's when this started. Um, and that is kind of a, that I think is a marker of evolution. And uh, And I don't think it's necessarily has to do with cell phones and technology Mm. um, and in terms of evolution and advancement in the universe, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, it does. And I think that uh, everybody always, you know, you look at uh, all social media, they're like, Oh, somebody knows this or somebody knows that. I think things are so compartmentalized and time goes on and people lose knowledge, gain knowledge, whatever. I think that, when you look at what's going on, I don't really think that there's somebody that has this, you know, like a Mr. Burns at the top that has all the knowledge and is keeping it from us. I don't necessarily believe that. I actually believe that um, maybe, you know, the Navy, the Air Force, you know, they might have more data. They have radar, they have technology, they can track things, pick things up, you know, do all that kind of stuff. But I don't think that they have some sort of inherent knowledge of what's going on either. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing right now is people are waking up and realizing that these things are real, something's happening. But again, I personally, this is just my opinion. I don't think that even the people at the top have really a good idea of what's going on. Right. And I think that that also has to do with evolution, right? Because whenever somebody talks about having experiences with these things, there's never or there's rarely any kind of physical evidence left behind. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that happens is because they don't want you to focus on the physical, right? The idea is not to be entangled in the physical world, right? Right. You it's, it's, it's an inward journey and that's what they're trying to get you to do. Mm. Um, and so that's what they emphasize. Uh, they emphasize this inward journey in which you'll never have any kind of physical evidence. Um, And once you take that inward journey, it's kind of like, you know, it's your choice where you go with this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also for non-believers, it's their choice. If they they want to believe in this and say, okay, there might be something there and begin to change the way that they live their life in accordance with this, uh, then that is their choice. And it's always about choosing, you know, you have to make... This is like uh, you, you have to make this kind of conscious effort to do this. Um, and so you, there's some aspect of belief that has to go along with that. 
and it has to be a feeling from within. And I think that that has that that is ultimately what kind of evolution is tied to um, rather than, you know, physical things like a laptop or a computer or whatever. Well, and I think that, I mean, you bring up an interesting point, which is that you kind of do have to choose because if you just look at material stuff or, you know, you're a materialist or whatever, of course you're not going to believe in whatever because there is no actual physical thing you can, you know, tangible thing that you can go, you know, there's not a museum with a UFO in it or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't go touch this thing. It's just something that people see. It's a weird experience. You know, it's more about the actual experience than it is some sort of nuts and bolts falling from the sky type of thing. Not that obviously that might not, you know, obviously it might've happened in the past with stuff like Roswell and that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. in terms of, um, I think it is important to look at the I think it's actually the most important thing to look at the psychological aspects of this uh, phenomenon and, um, you know, things that are related and topic wise. And actually, that's why we talk about the things we do on our podcast, because I truly believe if you can't understand consciousness and the mind and altered states and these different things, um, how can you understand something that might not even be physical? So I think that to me, the most important thing is understanding your, you know, know thyself, start there and then kind of work your way off of that. So I I do appreciate that philosophy towards, um, the topic. But, uh, so when you look at, um, you know, again, you viewed the, the gimbal video, when you look at stuff like that, then, what, what what do you think the message is with that? Do you think it's like how you mentioned before, like uh, um, it's kind of like a, almost like a signal for people to look inwards or something like that? Or like, how do you view something like that? Yeah. So I think, I, I think that, that, it, that is a lot of it, right? So there, there is this physical aspect of it, um, which to someone who's more extroverted, but maybe ready to go through this process, uh, will see that, and then they'll realize there's something more, you know. And then, and then you start to dig, and then you get into the psychology of uh, what Dr. Robert Moore calls you, you become a quester, right? You become you go you go on this journey, the uh, the the hero's journey, mm. um, and it's and it's inward uh, because you'll begin to have these inward experiences. And I, I, I almost kind of feel like when they do appear that they're kind of putting sensors out there to like feelers to see, you know, who's who's reacting to this, who's reacting in kind of an emotional way to this that we can get to and, right. and start to initiate. And I think that that's what that's what that physical aspect is for to draw you in. And uh, at least that that was my experience with it. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And I agree with that. Even if they were to come out tomorrow and be like, you know, those three videos, those were drones or whatever, or some other technology from some other, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. that wouldn't deter me from the metaphysical or metaphysics and things like that, because I've had weird experiences via altered states, uh, meditation, psychedelic use and things like that, that there's things mm-hmm. that cannot just be explained by that, you know, synchronicities and other things. So, right. um, I do, I, as much as I love the UFO stuff, I don't hang my hat on it or put all my eggs in that basket because I think that it's just like one part of this like multi-disciplinary approach to looking at these subjects. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 I kind of I kind of view it ho- holistically. You know, a lot of a lot of people do have these ideas that like poltergeists and ghosts are different than aliens and everything else, but really when you when you start to look at all of that stuff, you'll see that um it it's all connected. You know, there are in other words, I was listening to this other podcast where uh, they had a guest on who was talking about um, poltergeists, and he was kind of an expert in that and written several books. And one of the things he talked about was that a lot of people who experience poltergeist activity, um, often they're going through like depression, uh, anxiety, things like that. And Normally, people would associate that with the crazy things that are happening around them, but I think it's it's kind of like this whole conditioning of the mind, mm-hmm. right? So, so they're experiencing these things because they're experiencing this conditioning of the mind, and and it's an inward journey, and so that's why they're witnessing and having poltergeist activity because they're actually going through this hero's journey, and they don't they don't recognize it as such, if right. that makes any sense. Yeah, actually, I have to start looking more into Poltergeist, too. I know I was on uh, Where Did the Rogo podcast with Soraya. Shout out to Soraya. And he was talking about Poltergeist and the, the connections between what you're talking about, like this phenomenon and Poltergeist and everything. And, um, yeah, I think that, that there's something that could be energetically happen, happening there that we're just not aware of. And um, I think... Uh, I think that when you look at the paranormal stuff, I'm interested in it to a certain extent, but I think that a lot of the stuff I see is kind of BS out there, like these shows and stuff like that. I'm not saying I don't believe it. And again, I believe that some people are possibly clairvoyant, you know, but when we watch that surviving death documentary on Netflix, you know, some of those yeah. mediums or whatever, the physical mediums, I, I just wasn't buying it, you know? Right. And again, it's not to say that, there hasn't been people like that, maybe like an Edgar Casey or something. There's obviously people that have abilities or extra sensory stuff going on. I just think that when you start talking to dead people's families and or talking about dead people's families and stuff, it gets kind of dicey in my opinion. But right. well, I think since the beginning of the podcast, we were actually talking: Are they aliens? Are they angels? Are they ghosts? And then we kind of said that they maybe they're all the same kind of entity in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can definitely see that because, uh, you know, I, I've been listening to some of, uh, the Bledsoe stuff, the story with the woman, uh, floating and all of that. And I can see that in my own experience, you know, and that was, that was one of the things that really kind of started me on this inward journey was that, you know, the first entity that I saw in my room, uh, lit my room up with this golden light and the golden light became rays of light extending from her head. And then I thought to myself, this is like every kind of religious, uh, painting I've ever seen, you know, with, with some divine entity and they've got the, the golden rays of light coming out of the head. And, and that was when I really started to realize that this is all the same thing, you know, and, and what people called, angels uh back in the past were maybe these same extraterrestrial right. type beings you know i mean I, I look i look at all this stuff kind of with like an open mind i do try and discern though from 
different things, you know, situations and different things. And like I said, that like surviving death and, you know, there's other stuff I could point to where, um, again, I'm not saying that these things are impossible. I just think that you have to account for (coughs) people that aren't telling the truth. And I'm not saying anybody isn't or is or whatever. I don't like look at it like that necessarily, but I will watch a documentary or I will watch a video or a podcast or whatever and be like, Oh, that's that person's, Something's going on there. They're, they're kind of full of shit. So I don't. I don't, I, I don't think you can believe everybody in terms of that. But at the same time, I do believe these things happen. So I, I mean, it becomes dicey because it's like you want to believe people, but at the same time, you know, there are people that are doing stuff out there uh, to make money or get attention or whatever. Like I said, some of these you know ghost shows are like that, you know, and stuff like that. So I don't know. That's the way I look at. It. I kind of. I, I kind of think you have to be somewhat skeptical in a way right. if you're really after truth because what are you you're just gonna take everybody at their word you know we know people lie we know the human mind you know memories are super flawed as well so uh, maybe right. somebody did have some weird experience but maybe they add their own uh, information in there as well if you will or these people that get uh, hypnotized and then they you know there's I know people go back and forth on that do you know is there ideas being implanted in people during hypnosis or are these truly things that are coming out? And I know that that there's that whole debate as well. So, um, again, I think that you just kind of have to be, um, open-minded, but also skeptical. That's kind of how I look at myself as like an open-minded skeptic, if you will. Um, but yeah, I I'll, I'll say this, that, you know, a lot of these, there's people who do regression and stuff like this and, and I don't have anything against that. I mean, I would never do it personally myself. Um, and nothing in my book was ever um, gleaned from any kind of regression. It was just stuff that I remembered happening to me. Right. Um, but uh, I, I think that, I don't know, I just, I don't think that we're really that good at consciousness yet mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, just pick things from the subconscious in this way. Um, so I, I, I'm also a little bit skeptical of some things that I hear that were a result of regression or something like that, because I just, you having not witnessed the regression, you don't know, you know, are they leading this person to say certain things? You know, you just, you, you don't know. And, right. and, I, right. and I think that it's not, it's not as, as exact a science as it really needs to be for us to completely take it seriously, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah, and I mean, even look at psychology, you know, it's a humanity and yeah. it's not really that empirical and we don't even know what consciousness is. So it's really just kind of collecting data. You know, what do we know about the mind and philosophy of the mind and how the mind works and then apply different techniques that we know are helpful or, you know, can help people. So, uh, again, we're, you know, this is all kind of, um, this is all kind of like, uh, next level stuff, you know, and I think that that's important to do though. You want to push the envelope and push the boundaries and keep, keep this ball rolling. So I think that, um, I don't even, you know, psychology is not even that old was a William James, I think had a comment where he was like, uh, the first lecture I heard on psychology was one that I gave or something like that. So it's, you know, it's, it's really not even that old of a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. but let's pivot here. Let's talk a little bit about, 
in your book, you had a lot of um, Greek mythology. You know, you've got the whole Demeter, uh, 80s and Persephone, which I do want to talk about because I do think that actually, um, as it's connected to the Eleusinian mysteries, I do think that there's Mm -hmm. some psychedelic components there and Mm -hmm. um, a lot of, you know, thinking about death and metaphysics and that kind of stuff and obviously it influenced plato probably might have even been the inf- the um the uh, precursor to plato's cave i would imagine in some regard yeah. um so why don't you talk a little bit about like how you got in were you always into greek mythology uh, or is that something um, that came along after you know it, i i wasn't my my dad is uh, he, he taught at a university um, and that was what he did his entire life. And so he was very much into mythology and things like that. And he was constantly reading Joseph Campbell. And so, I mean, just being around him, that stuff kind of rubbed off. Um, but it wasn't something that necessarily particularly interested me uh, until I until I started going through this. And then I could recognize some of the bells and whistles that I had heard about in mythology within my own story, you know, and that was, that was really kind of the eye opener where I said, Oh, you know, the, the, these stories are people explaining this experience in antiquity. And that's why I opened my book with the Homeric hymn to the goddess Demeter, because, uh, it was the central hymn to, uh, the Greek mysteries or the Eleusinian mysteries. Um, and it it perfectly describes this entire experience, um, and that's that's when I started to realize the Greek mysteries were us kind of initiating others into that internal hero's journey, mm-hmm. and and that 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 is exactly what the mysteries were. Were it was comprised of everything that I went through in this nine months, you know. And uh, it's kind of ironic that it takes nine months because it's always described in mythology as this cycle of death and rebirth, right? And right. so you think about human gestation, that's nine months, you know, and, and you're born again. Right. Um, and so so it mimics life in that way. Um, and so I'll describe the myth a little bit, uh, uh, the, the hymn to the goddess Demeter. Um, so she's, uh, Persephone is, uh, Demeter's daughter and there are goddesses that are associated with the harvest. Um, and so people often in depictions of them, they're often holding like ears of grain or some kind of harvest, uh, material. And, uh, my whole thing about this is that it's not about necessarily the physical harvest of crops, but about the harvest of souls, mm. right? Because because once you've gone through this experience, it's clear to me anyway that you don't come back here. Like, so this is right. this is the last life you'll live on Earth. Um, and so in the beginning of the myth, you know, Persephone, she's out picking flowers, just kind of minding her own business. And this uh, Hades, um, who had come up with this plan uh, to distract Persephone while she's, you know, smelling flowers and stuff, he had Gaia, the goddess of the earth, um, construct a flower, the Narcissus flower, that would be so beautiful that it would distract Persephone. And he could grab her and abduct her at that Mm -hmm. point. So that's what ends up happening. 
uh, and Demeter, her daughter, has disappeared. She's just, you know, overcome with grief. Uh, so she sets out to search for her daughter Persephone, and she throws on a dark cloak and uh, wanders the earth looking for her daughter. And I, you know, I think that this part of the myth is kind of also very telling because a lot of people who have these experiences um, will see shadow people. You know, they see shadow people in in sleep paralysis type experiences, or they they see the old hag because. Demeter also disguised herself as an old woman. Mm. Uh, and so this old woman is wandering the earth looking for her daughter. And maybe this is a hint, you know, that you're seeing this, this old hag and sleep paralysis, that this is Demeter, you know, looking for her daughter. Right. Which is representative of the human soul. Right. So anyway, uh, Persephone is abducted. She's down there with Hades. Uh, and she's wandering the earth, and she comes to uh, Eleusis, where she starts, she's resting underneath an olive tree, and uh, the four daughters of the lord of Eleusis come out and greet her, and they say, you know, what are you doing out here, old lady? Uh, this is, this is kind of weird that you've wandered from the city. And she's like, oh, well, I was abducted. I don't know where I am. And so she's, she asks the daughters, you know, is there anywhere I can do a woman's work? And the daughters say, well, you know, our our little brother isn't doing so well. Why don't you come to the palace and care for him? And so she does that. Um, and she goes into the palace to meet uh, the boys and the girl's mother. And uh, the mother has the little boy sitting on her lap. And uh, the mother is struck with this sense of holy awe and wonder because Demeter is standing in the doorway and she's almost as tall as the ceiling. And it describes that her divine light was illuminating the entire entryway. And so that was another thing that took me back to my own experience, the whole divine light thing. Mm -hmm. um, so she starts caring for this boy who's not doing very well. And she decides to repay the Lord and Lady of Eleusis for their kindness towards her. And so she decides she's going to turn this little boy into an immortal god. And so she starts delivering him rights. She uh, soaks him in ambrosia, and um, she puts him in a fire every night to burn like a log. <laughs> and in doing this, she's like burning away his mortal soul and making him immortal. Mm -hmm. And to me, that, that, that kind of describes this experience that I went through, right? The whole burning away of the mortal soul to turn you into something immortal and expose the eternal within you. Right. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, because there's, there's all this fear associated with it. And it's, it's really, it's so painful. And <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how painful this experience is. It was emotionally painful. Um, and so I could see how they would describe that as like a burning away you know and right. that this and this is why this myth was central to the mystery because this is exactly what happens to you you are this little boy that right. she's putting into a fire to burn like a log every night and to add the just a quick synapse uh synapsis of the rest of that myth um 
Persephone, while she's in the underworld, is given um, is a pomegranate. Yeah. And she takes mm-hmm. a bite, and then she gets rescued by Demeter. Um, and then they find out that she ate something. She took something from Hades. So then there she has to spend every, what is it, springtime in um, the underworld? Yeah, yeah so, so she's... So like, she spends like two thirds of the year with the god, uh, with the gods in Olympus, and then a third of the year down in the underworld. Right. And that that to 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 scholars that always uh, they always thought of that. Well, that this is just how they're describing the changing of the seasons throughout the year. Right. But uh, but that's not necessarily the case. So with my experience, uh, I found that. So what happens is since everything is connected, right? We see here on the Earth that. In the wintertime, things die, and then they come back in the springtime. And so the same thing will take place within the human psyche at that time of year. Um, and, and we're not separate from that experience. So that's why we experience this depression in winter, because we're heading into that. Mm. Interesting. Um, and, and, that and, and, and my whole theory on this is that that is the phenomenon that they were describing, the depression that sets in um, during winter, which is a part of this whole experience. Yes. I will point out what I think, though, right now, which is that there's physical evidence that um, part of, you know, off. have you read The Road to Eleusis by... Um, no, Austin? I've heard of it. Okay. Um, you know, wheat... And rye contains it's called claviceps purpurea. It's a uh, yeah. it's a it's a, a a fungus, and it's actually the precursor to LSD. Um, and they have found physical evidence um, in these chalices found there that you know this was ergot was being ingested, and the the potion that they drank during the festival, the Lucinian Mysteries, was called uh, kikion, and the you you could only participate in the greater mysteries which happened in the fall during harvest once in your life you could only participate once and in the the lesser mysteries which happened in the spring i assume it was some sort of planting festival or something like that uh you could obviously attend that more um and so the theory is is that and if you look at shamanic uh mythology and shamanism which predates anything in ancient greece uh, being taken to the underworld or being put back together, that kind of thing, being reborn, that's a central element to that. And a lot of this has to do with um, psychoactive compounds. So um, there's a new book out, too. I don't know if you've read it. It's called The Immortality Key, where uh, the author goes into detail about uh, physical evidence and how um, you know psychoactive compounds were at the, the heart of the Eleusinian mysteries which eventually led to some of the other mysteries which eventually led to neoplatonism which eventually led to early christianity um so there are a lot of connections there but i think that those while i agree with you that to some of the parts you were discussing and you know being reborn and all that stuff i do think that there is um some mind-altering stuff going on especially when you look at like plato's cave and um the allegory and this idea, if you look at like the words that he says when he's describing it and things like these are central to the psychedelic experience. This is, you're being, you're dying and being reborn. And I don't know anything in terms of fasting or walk, you know, doing these, these parades down the street and whatever. I don't think that anything could lead to anything like that in terms of insight. And I know 
some of the Victorian scholars thought it was some sort of like a light show or some weird thing like, you know, or some something like that. And I, again, I don't know how you could arrive at any of those other than having some sort of mind altering uh, experience. So that's just my opinion on it. I think that there's uh, a lot of validity to what you're saying in terms of like the depression and like the, the archetypes and the psyche and different things like that. But I think that that's still correlated to this mind altering um, experience, if you will. Right. And uh, so I will talk about psychedelics here for a minute. Um, so I came across uh, an article that talked about rat uh, lab rats being given DMT right and what what that does to their brain and so the the article talked about and i'm i'm not like any kind of neurologist so i can't speak expertly on any of this but sure. basically what it's doing is um it causes cells in certain structures of the brain to vibrate at a certain frequency right and so that's scientists have said well this is what causes the hallucinogenic properties of of these drugs but i will say too that uh robert moore talks about in his books about how basically the same thing is happening right so you you you're living your life in a certain way and these archetypal structures are associated with certain areas of your brain and when you get those to operate in their fullness you're naturally causing the same kind of stimuli within the brain that psychedelic drugs will induce. And so, and I, I, I came to realize this when I was reading flashbacks. Have you ever read that? It's, um, it's, um, Timothy Leary's autobiography. I have uh -huh. not read that, but we, uh, I mean, we're very well, we do tons yeah. of episodes on psychedelics and have some of the top scientists on our show. So, I mean, I'm, we're aware of a lot of the psychedelic stuff. Yeah. And so, um, I, I was reading that and it was that it was during reading that that I that I began to understand what the link between these two things is. And what you're talking about is is correct in that it will give you this same experience. You'll experience this oneness. You'll feel the one that you'll actually feel that oneness of the universe because you've got this these parts of your brain to vibrate at a certain frequency. Uh, but you can do that naturally through thought process and the way that you think about and view the world you can also do that um and so a lot of these types of experiences like you're talking about with the eleusinian mysteries you will have them start out and they'll they'll use psychedelic drugs uh but there are like ancient vedic texts that kind of warn about the use of psychedelic drugs because within this experience, if you want to have the complete experience, it takes nine months. Uh, if, if you want to have this end of enlightenment or nirvana, this feeling that will just last with you, uh, you have to go through the entire thing. And so you can do drugs with this, but you need someone by your side telling you and explaining to you, what's happening and and why you're feeling the things that you are and not only that but i when i was reading timothy leary he went to great great lengths to try and not have bad trips you know um whatever that means i guess those are the most productive ones though exactly that's what i'm trying to get at is that you have to 
not only have good trips, but you have to have bad trips as well. Um, right. Well, the bad trip we talk about, obviously you should never just take anything and you should consult your right. doctor. And if you're in a state right. now where it's decriminalized and you can go see, uh, you know, they have ketamine therapies and all these different things. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you should be careful. Know, know your, your mindset and everything like that. Cause these are powerful tools and it's yeah. not something to be played around with. But uh, yeah, we talk about bad trips. Most of the time is just being, you have some issues or you have some stuff that you've been put on the back burner or haven't been dealing with in your own head or psyche. And mm-hmm. those come out because that's what psychedelics do. They act as like a mirror or they're psychomimetic. They're they're showing you what your psyche's like. And if yeah. you're not prepared for that, that's what a that's what a bad trip can be, you know. So <laughs> um but yeah, and to your point about the DMT, I mean, we all have dimethyltryptamine in our bodies. It's you know, it's it's that's a fact. And oh, now yeah. that they're they're trying to record it. Um, uh, you know, they're trying to record the levels to see how much of an impact it would have on us. And I know there's a shout out to uh, um, John Chavez, the DMT Quest documentary. You know, they're talking about how it's found in the cerebral spinal fluid. And, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about, like, you know, the Kundalini or the serpent energy and all that stuff. But to your point about the uh, getting there naturally, I, I agree with that. You know, there's meditation. There's um, There's a lot of stuff that you can do to achieve those kinds of states without those substances. So... Um, I'm all for that. I do think the interesting thing about psychedelics is, though, it's the only thing that can truly alter your consciousness that also allows you to walk around and and, um, and experience the world or play off of things. Like, and you're, you're still conscious enough where you're interacting with the world around you, but you're in a different state. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So yeah. we're kind of, if you were to meditate, most meditation involves closing your eyes and breathing and certain things or, you know, lucid dreaming involves you being same thing. You being uh, in an altered state dreaming, you know, all these other things um, require altered states. And to your point about the, the Vedic stuff, actually the, the Rig Veda um, Soma is at the heart of that. And Soma was supposedly a powerful psychedelic. So, I mean, they obviously use those too. So yeah. I think that there's something to be said about what you're saying, but I think that what, again, what the way I look at psychedelics and that whole thing is, is like a tool, like, yeah, you don't need it, but it's there, you know? Right. Maybe. Yeah. And, and to, but to tie this all back to the Eleusinian mysteries, I think the Eleusinian mysteries giving people the, um, the kiki on and having them, you know, have this experience, that's something that everybody can do. Um, cause whether it doesn't matter, you know, psychedelics are going to do their thing, you know, and not everybody can yeah. be enlightened or meditate or take the time to learn all the knowledge and the gnosis and everything, but anybody can take a substance and have this experience. So I think that that's what they were doing is showing people there's more to life than just what meets the eye. And yeah. here's this potion that's going to show you that. Yeah, it's and a you're... simple way to crack the door open. Right. Yeah. So... Yeah, and uh, you know, if if you look, I I don't know how. Uh, I mean, I I do a lot of research on my own, just kind of just looking at things. Sure. And um, so one of the things I looked at online was that there were a lot of people who experienced like um, drug-induced psychosis, uh, and I, I I don't know if. If you've ever visited the psychosis kind of uh, sub on Reddit, but a lot of people will talk about how they'll they take uh, you know ketamine or something, uh, DMT, whatever, and 
it induces this psych uh, psychosis. And I think honestly, if I had if I had gone to a psychologist in the middle of my experiences, they probably would have diagnosed me with psychosis. I mean, I was having mm. hallucinations and right. uh, everything else. Um, and so I think there was there was one guy I saw in there, and he had posted some of his art, and he was like painting some of the things that I had seen in my experiences. Right. <laughs> and I, I messaged him and I said, you know, I don't think you were experiencing psychosis. I think you were experiencing this awakening. And he was like, Oh yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm all better now. I totally understand that. That's what I went through. And he said, but you know, the, the psychologists and the medical experts that were caring for me, I just kind of, you know, told them I was over it and didn't give them any kind of inkling as to what was really going on because they wouldn't understand it. And so I'll just let them believe whatever they want to believe. And that's kind of what I think is the unfortunate part about this is that psychology looks at this and they think that these are, you know, various disorders and they're not really recognizing what's really happening here. Right. Um, Yeah. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I, you know, and I think that, um, again, you know, we talk about psychedelics a lot on the show and obviously I have OCD and that's how I've been able to get in there and do some work. And like I said, the bad ones aren't necessarily the bad ones. You know what I'm saying? It's like how you look at it and forcing yourself to deal with your issues or look at yourself outside of yourself is not the worst thing sometimes. So again, uh, there's a lot of therapy going on out there. We just had Matthew Johnson, who's one of the top psychedelic uh, researchers at John Hopkins, and they're doing tons of things to help people with mental issues. And even, you know, you were in the military, even MAPS, you know, uh, they've, I think they're past their phase three trials with MDMA treating PTSD, and they've had like a 90% success rate with that. So, I mean, again, it's, it's all improper, you know, revere these substances and and treat them with respect and they could be helpful, you know, but again, it's just a piece of the puzzle, you know, to do, but I did want to bring that up because I do think with the hallucinating mysteries on top of what you were describing with the archetypes and the depression and then the change in seasons and things like that, I do think that there were physical things happening as well that were, um, mind altering that again, that, you know, maybe the, average person back then or somebody that was you know a farmer or something that doesn't even think about those kinds of things would have that experience and then they were awoken or they entered plato's cave kind of a thing yeah yeah and that's so i'll talk a little bit about plato's cave uh so what what plato plato wrote that for a specific reason and and the the basic gist of it is that, you know, there's these three people in a cave. They can't see. They're chained down. All they can see are the shadows on the wall in front of them, and that's what they view to be reality. You know, that is their world, these shadows in front of them. That's all they know. Mm-hmm. And so one of them breaks free uh, and leaves the cave, and then he comes back and he tries to describe to these other people that are chained down looking at this cave wall, hey, there's this whole world out there. You know, and there's all these things happening. There's color. There's all kinds of things. And to someone who's only known the reality of these shadows on the cave wall, they don't understand what he's talking about, you know? Right. And and, and so what, what Plato is describing there is this whole awakening experience where you get up and you leave the cave um, and you have this experience of nirvana or enlightenment. And then you come back and you try to describe that to people. And they think you're crazy. 
<laughs> you know? And so yeah. that's, that's really his point. He's trying to say that, you know, this is something that you have to experience for yourself or you're just not going to see it. You know, you won't know. Right. At all. I mean, that's the, probably one of the original paradigm shifts, or at least that's the story that we have of, you know, the real original paradigm shift. Uh-huh. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's one of, that's one of my favorite allegories uh, for obvious reasons. And I think that's what a lot of people, when they talk about metaphysics and metaphysical things, that's what they use because it's true. And, uh, we're all like, you were talking about technology and evolving and stuff. I think that how do we get to that next paradigm shift? You know, like how is it through, um, understanding (coughs) consciousness better? Is it through understanding, um, you know, UFOs or paranormal stuff better? Like, how do we get to that next level, if you will? Like, what do you think about that? Uh, so, you know, it, it's difficult. Uh, it's, it's really difficult as to how you get to that next level. Cause like I said, it has to be kind of a, a soul searching, uh, conscious thing that you do, uh, that will start this off. But I think also what's happening is that people are doing this soul searching and they're finding consciousness, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, which is uh, ultimately what underlies all the world's religions. And that's what our podcast, you know, that's the premise of our podcast is that's why we don't talk about, you know, politics or anything on the news or anything like that, because we want a place where people can come learn something, expand their mind learn about yeah. different topics and new things and not worry about anything except for uh, thinking about who are we, where we come from, where are we go, you know, teleology, ontology, epistemology, you know, like let's get to mm-hmm. the bottom of who we are and where we're going and what it truly means to be alive and what do we truly know, you know? So uh, I think that what you're saying is true to a certain extent. And I think that hopefully we come out of this thing, you know, stronger and more together and hopefully we can all, heal and come together and love each other and take this, this, uh, this human experience to the next level and become, you know? Yeah. A lot of people want to, you know, a lot of people have this opinion that this, this whole kumbaya and every, why can't everybody just love one another? They think that that's just, you know, some pipe dream based on what they know to be reality. You know, and well, I mean, so life's it, hard. It is hard. Yeah. So, you know, I, I get the skepticism for people, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think that, um, what you're saying in terms of, I think it is possible. I, I, I truly believe it. And I think that's what we try and do with our show at least. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, and that, that was one of the things that, uh, Timothy Leary talked about in his book, because that was, they, they were looking at trying to use that as a therapy, Right. And they said, this is the answer to everything, because once you take this, these drugs, you know that, you know, everybody's the same and we're all one. We're all a part of this singular consciousness. And so he viewed that as like the key to everything, all everything that ails us. And it really is, uh, because once you realize that it's not a giant leap to say that, well, I'm just going to go to work and I I don't care about money anymore. Let's just get rid of money because that doesn't serve any purpose. And everybody just work and do your best. And that's that's what life is about. You yeah. Know? I think we're in a weird transition <laughs> too. I mean, with AI and technology yeah. and where things are going, I think we're in some sort of 
you know, we're entering some sort of cocoon where we might hopefully emerge as a butterfly. Um, that's, right. you know, and even the Greeks, you know, used to, uh, use that analogy. And, um, I think that that, I, I hope that's, that's where we're going. You know, like I, I hope that this is going to lead to, like I said, some sort of next level and like tr- us trying to understand consciousness and, um, you, you know, combining maybe, uh, science with spirituality or science with more philosophy and metaphysics. I think that that's, that's the goal at least. But, right. uh, if we were able to automate everything, then it's like, well, you know, who has to work anymore? And right. what does that mean? You know, it would definitely and, give us a lot more time to be creative. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that would be my hope is that we would be more creative towards this psychological end. Uh, where we would start going through this journey on our own. Interesting. Definitely interesting times. I'll say that. So let's yeah. do this. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up and then do you have a little bit of time to do a Patreon? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Beautiful. Well, uh, you can check out Matt's book. I have the link down below. Uh, it's called initiated and, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading it and I thought that there was a lot of good stuff in there, not just UFO stuff, but you know, esoteric and mythology and um all sorts of different knowledge and Jungian archetypes so yeah definitely check out his book and uh we really appreciate your time and uh yeah we'll have you on the show again for sure in the future and uh uh thanks again and uh everybody can go check out we do have a talk with matthew that we did before for part one uh again the audio on that at the end got you know um, messed up a little bit yeah but you know that's why we did this and he was kind enough to get a new mic and headset and I thought this sounded awesome so we really appreciate that uh, but yeah you can head on over to our patreon at patreon.com slash mind escape podcast for just two dollars a month you'll get exclusive episodes and segments uh, we're also on discord so check us out on there and uh, one more time head on over to Indra's web and sign up for a profile. This is the social media app that we created to connect open minds. So whatever the topic, whether it's esoteric or ancient knowledge or uh, ancient psychedelic use or UFOs, if you have an outside the box theory or you're interested in these topics, definitely check us out on there and set up a profile. So thank you so much, Matt. And uh, we're about to start a Patreon. So if anybody's interested, join our Patreon and uh, we'll go from there. We'll see you there. Thank you. We love everybody. Stay safe out there, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.